Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media and the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment, let's not miss our moment. And now, the Hamilton Corner. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. I'm your host, Abraham Hamilton III, joined by the corner contingent. The full corner contingent is in the building right across from me, my man, 100 grand, Mr. Bobby Rosa. Or you might hear him say Bobby. <laughs> in the screening room, double for your trouble. Our friendly neighborhood, Woodaholic, who is perpetually in recovery. He is accompanied by... <laughs> he nervous. He nervous. <laughs> I ain't gonna mess with you today. Maybe. Tomorrow. But it's still got a lot of show left, so, you know, who knows how this is gonna go. But producer extraordinaire, the real Jay Mack, is in the building, often imitated, never duplicated, and we're ready to rock and roll with today's edition of the program. Thank you to each and every one of you who are tuning into the program, however you are doing so, uh, the many outlets that are available to you. I guess I should remind you that uh, those who may not be able to listen live all the time, you can subscribe uh, to, the, to the podcast. Wherever you get your podcast from, you can uh, listen to this program in podcast form. Um, or if you watch the video f- uh, streams or the video feeds, you can always go back after the show and watch them. And I want to encourage you to share it with your friends and family and loved ones. Share the program with all of them. You can also catch this program on Friday evenings on NRB TV at 8 p.m. Central Time. That's 9 p.m. Eastern. Do I have that time right? Yes, I have the time right. At this very moment, many of you, if not most of you, are making your transition from your part-time jobs where you generate an income to your full time jobs where you cultivate an outcome. And as you do so, I want to remind you to do so with intentionality. And I know some of you are doing it in the reverse because when I travel, I meet you. You say, hey, I do it the other way around. I understand. But the majority of the the listeners and viewers are transitioning from their part-time jobs now to their full-time jobs. And as you make that transition, understand that what goes on in your house is far more important than what goes on in the White House. It is very easy, very easy to allow the things that are happening in the world and and things that are even happening in our own country uh, to manipulate us and to turn us away from the things that should uh, be priorities for us. But I want to encourage you to encourage you to batten down the hatches at home. Don't allow the world to provoke a negligence in you Uh, that causes you to be focused everywhere else to the neglect of your home. The encouragement is to reverse that, not to ignore what happens outside of the home, but making sure that those things don't supplant or provoke a negligence that causes us to be like a, excuse me, oh, shucks, we'll get to that eventually. Because many times the reality is that we only offer our homes the leftovers of a day well spent. But make sure as you transition that you do so with intentionality. All right, to the word of God, we go. Acts chapter 18 is where we're going to go today. Acts chapter 18. 
verses 24 through 28. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. That's right, Mike. The crazy temporary world. That's a good way to describe it. The crazy temporary world. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28 is where we are going to go. Uh, I am so grateful for the word of God uh, that it truly is um, a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. I believe I explained uh, that scriptural reference before. Uh, I don't want it to take the time away from the from the text in Acts 18, uh, but the light unto our feet and the lamp unto our past terminology is drawn from the reality in the Old Testament times that people very rarely traveled at nighttime. Uh, there were no electrical grids. Uh, there were no uh, highways by and large. And so uh, traveling at night was very, very precarious. And so if on the rare occasion that type of travel was engaged in, usually people would, would travel at a minimum with two people. And they would, they would walk side by side, and one of them would hold a lamp. Basically, it's an illuminated torch of some sort uh, in, in the older iterations of it as time advanced. You had other things, different oils and things, but uh, usually it would be uh, a, a flame-bearing source that would be held near the feet that would illuminate the area immediately around the feet for each individual step. And then the other travel companion would hold a lamp or a torch up high. And the combination of the lamp near the feet, which allowed the steps, immediate next steps to become visible, and the, the light held up, the, the lamp held up high, would provide illumination for travel at, the, at a distance. And so the combination of the lamp by the feet and the light for the path would allow both clarity to view what was immediately around the feet as you were taking individual steps, as well as vision for what was to come. And that is what the scripture is communicating when it says the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It gives clarity, wisdom, and illumination for our immediate next steps, as well as vision for what's coming down the road. Man, glory to God for that reality. Now, Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. This is what the word of God says. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately, or the King James there says, more perfectly. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Man, the word of God is so rich. So here the scripture gives us a bit of background to a man named Apollos. This is one of the Lord's disciples who was a, a teacher in the Lord's church. The Bible tells us that, that Apollos was an Alexandrian by birth, which means he's Egyptian. He was a Jew who was born in Alexandria, Egypt. 
The Bible tells us that he was fervent in the spirit. And he was speaking and teaching accurately, accurately, the things concerning Jesus. He was teaching this accurately. Okay. However, Aquila and Priscilla, this husband and wife couple, heard Apollo's teaching. They heard his eloquence. They saw his boldness, yet they took him aside. Now, what's amazing here, man, the word of God, man. Here you have Apollos, who the Bible is telling us he's eloquent. The man had a gift to articulate, to elocute. <laughs> and he knew the scripture. He knew the scripture. This reference to the scripture here is referring to the Hebrew Bible. He knew the word of God. And he knew that the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, pointed to Yeshua as the Messiah. He, as a Jew, was no longer waiting for Messiah to come because he recognized that the Christ had already come. All right? But recognizing some deficiencies in his theology, Aquila and Priscilla, they don't blow him out. They don't blast him in public in front of everybody. They take him aside. They take him in private, and they work with him and talk to him in private. This reveals something very, very important for us to understand and to embrace. You may very well be very eloquent, very articulate. You may very well uh, do a great job in what you're doing already. But we must always maintain a disposition of teachability and humility. We must always maintain a disposition of teachability and humility. Apollos' eloquence didn't preclude him from being able to learn even the more. Apollos' understanding of the scriptures did not preclude him from being able to understand the scriptures even better. And his willingness to humble himself before Aquila and Priscilla combined with Aquila and Priscilla's refusal to be intimidated by his giftedness, <laughs> to be pushed back by, man, this dude clearly is smart. He clearly knows some things. Recognizing his giftedness, recognizing his understanding, they still love Christ and him enough to say, brother, you got it going well, but here's one thing that you lack. Here's something that you may not see in total, and we want to offer that to you. And the combination of Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos having these virtues, having this virtue, having these dispositions resulted in a, an abundant blessing for both Apollos. I'm not just both. For Apollos, a blessing for Aquila and Priscilla, and ultimately for the body of Christ. This continued disposition of humility and teachability in Apollos benefits him. But it not only benefits him, it benefits the body of Christ ultimately. Brothers and sisters, never allow your understanding, rightfully so, of your giftedness. When This is not Apollos saying of himself, I am an eloquent man. This is God saying this about this cat. God is saying, man, this dude is eloquent. Nevertheless, his eloquence is met with a humility and a teachability that allows this fruit bearer 
to be pruned so that he bears more fruit. More fruit. This is beautiful to see. And this is how things must be within the family of God. Not just things. This is how we must be in the family of God. Fruitfulness in the Lord's kingdom, teaching, contending, you know, with, with apologetic offerings, giving a reasoned defense for why he has placed his faith in the, in the Messiah, in Jesus as the Messiah. Willing to engage with boldness, nevertheless, is receptive. <laughs> to a brother and a sister in the faith. They say, man, let me holler at you over here. It is a beautiful picture of what's available to us, man. And it's a beautiful demonstration about, a demonstration of, I should say, of what is not common in the world needing to not only be common, but to be foundational and culturally normative within the body of Christ. Because the one thing that I want to remind you of is that they all met in Ephesus. In Roman culture in general, but particularly in the city of Ephesus, there was a culturally normative notion of pride. Humility was seen was seemed to be off-putting, synonymous with weakness. How, how dare you? Humility? No, no, sir. No, ma'am. Nevertheless, what was prevalent in that region was not prevalent in Apollos, nor was it prevalent in Aquila and Priscilla. And that willingness with his giftedness, with his eloquence, with his articulation, with his knowledge— with his learned study of the scripture, he was willing to receive what Aquila and, Priscilla had, Aquila and Priscilla had to offer. And it resulted in, this is amazing. Verse 22, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. A great blessing to the body of Christ. And then verse, I'm sorry, verse 20, I said 22, I believe. I'm talking about verse 27, I'm going to read. Verse 27, then verse 28, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. This would be Jews who are opposed to the instruction that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. He powerfully refuted them in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. No matter how gifted you are, no matter how learned you may be, we never graduate from the necessity of maintained humility and teachability. Every joint in the body that is fruit-producing, the Lord prunes, he refines, so that, it, that we bear more fruit. The correction that is offered is not because you are doing things wrong, but it's often to enable us to do good things even better. Shining light into the darkness. This is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner. Abraham Hamilton III here. <clears throat> It's time, y'all. This is the week. This weekend, the men's conference at Antioch Baptist Church starts this Saturday at uh, Saturday evening, September 9th. And then there'll be several um, services. All of this will take place in Sylvester, Georgia. Uh, this, the September 9th meeting uh, will be at Antioch Baptist Church, 105 Doe Hill Road in Sylvester, Georgia. Then September 10th. Uh, we will be again at Antioch Baptist Church the 10th and the 11th. And then the 12th and the 13th will be at Isabella Baptist Church. Its address is 134 Old Mail Road in Sylvester, Georgia. 
Uh, it's going to be an amazing time together. I'm so looking forward to this and sharing um, what the Lord is impressing upon me uh, with these uh, be- the beautiful family of believers there. Uh, I love how Antioch and Isabella work together um, so often. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, so local assemblies sometimes compete, and th- there's such a, a f- familial uh, relationship between these two local assemblies is a beautiful thing to be a part of, and and I'm grateful to be able to participate uh, in the services there. Thereafter, September 22nd and 23rd, uh, I'll be joining the New Life Church family in Nashville, Arkansas, for their Restoring Truth Conference. You you are all invited if you're in the area or able, willing and able to come to either of those areas. You are welcome to do so. There's no registration. There there's no red tape. You are invited. You are invited to come. All right. It's not um, as much uh, foolishness today. It's a little bit of that, but it's information that I believe it's vitally important that that you are aware of. There are lots of things happening, a lot of things that are grabbing, you know, so-called headlines, uh, and other things are going ignored. Uh, But I wanted to share this with you all, uh, unsurprisingly, in light of the things that have transpired in our nation recently, uh, cities, both large and small cities, down even to small towns, um, they are suffering from a crisis in police officer shortages in many small towns across our country. Some police departments are, are closing completely. And this is something that you've heard me talk about before. Uh, that causes some of the most vulnerable among us, it increases that vulnerability uh, because it it leaves easier prey uh, for the criminals among us. But I want you to listen to and watch uh, this clip. It's clip number one, and then we'll dig into some of the details of the story. Clip number one. Go. Public sector hiring has seen a steady decline since the start of the pandemic. But there's one profession that's become a particular concern nationwide, law enforcement officers. And the hiring woes have been building for years. A survey of police departments in 2019 found that nearly 80% of agencies reported struggles with hiring qualified recruits. Half of the agencies said they changed internal policies and qualifications to get more candidates. I think we've seen this problem uh, growing steadily over the last, say, 10 years or so, Uh, but it really ramped up post-COVID. 4% fewer officers were hired in 2021 than in 2019, and departments across the country saw 47% more resignations and 19% more retirements in 2022 compared to 2019, according to a survey of police chiefs by the Police Executive Research Forum. Uh, Some states have added uh, a a recruiting bonus to out-of-state applicants who are already certified, which they're all interesting ideas, but um, when it when we're taking from one agency to another, we're not solving the problem. We're just moving it. The last speaker is absolutely right. When you have um, places that are recruiting and, and, and enticing officers from other other places, you, you, you're not solving the ultimate issue. Uh, you are <laughs> just moving, rearranging the problem. And I, I want to share this. So um, that you can be aware of this. So as I mentioned, this is happening in cities, both large and small. Um, It's no surprise with the 
you know, the following of the the the, the death of the murder of uh, George Floyd and and the things that happened across the country. And I will be the first to tell you. First, well, let me go back. Many of you know, uh, as a former prosecutor for a decade, I have the greatest respect and esteem for police officers. They do a job that most people would not be willing to do. In addition to just an objective analysis of the job, when you consider people who spend a significant portion of their time looking at the gross underbelly of sinful humanity on a regular basis, this is not something that is normal. All right? So we should have the greatest respect for these officers at the exact same time. People who are officers in that occupation, they include fallen mankind, just like other dispositions. So we should never expect um, (laughs) sinlessness simply because someone is wearing a uniform. So there will always be areas where adjustments need to be made, um, correction needs to be offered, accountability needs to be provided because of the reality of the fallen the fallen sinfulness of mankind, and you combine that with dealing consistently with the gross underbelly of humanity, there is a capacity that can develop that causes you to be skewed in your perception of people, which is why society's support and sensitivity to the particularities of law enforcement should be palpable. Instead of having, you know, all of these conversations about, you know, criticizing law enforcement, I think one of the things the law enforcement community can do is to spend more time engaging in individual communities, but also uh, providing national narratives to articulate some of the details of policing. Not Obviously, not the tactics I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about the, the sociological uh, investment in um, law enforcement. And make no mistake about it, law enforcement specifically has been targeted as a mechanism to contribute to the overthrow of Western civilization. And what I mean by that is people fail to, to, to realize this oftentimes, but the law enforcement community includes the attorneys and the uh, uh, district attorneys and the state attorneys generals and state attorneys that have to enforce the law in the formal processes. The, the, the police officers do the work on the ground, make the arrest, but that is a part of the process. Once the arrest is, is made, this is why you often hear media say the, the alleged crime, alleged crime, because the term alleged is employed until it's been formally proven in a court of law through the charge party's um, admission of their guilt through a guilty plea or through a charge party being proven of their criminal culpability of their guilt in a court of law. So all of that is a part of it, and our society would be served, would be well served by having more communication, like, hold up, a lot of these guys, especially uh, officers who are on the beat, they spend a lot of time, um, as well as detectives, looking at the worst of the worst. All right? So all of that needs to be understood. But the, the goal, as some, they try to adopt pro-life terminology and say, we need to abolish law enforcement. Really? These are people who have a fundamental misunderstanding of human, human nature. They denied it, the, the 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 sin nature. This is why you have people that, that say silly things like, oh, what we really need to have is more social workers to do traffic stops. Really? That's one of the most dangerous jobs that law enforcement officers do. They approach a vehicle having no idea what's on the other side. 
And thanks be to God, the overwhelming majority of these encounters, because when you because when you consider the millions of interactions that law enforcement officers have with citizens on a regular basis, you begin to realize that the things that this lying, talking snake media attempts to highlight are extreme exceptions. Now, because of the reality of human life, that exceptions that are fatal are significant exceptions, but make no mistake about it, they should, and we should understand that these are exceptions. And I really have zero patience for the people who, on one hand, say things like, we need to re-envision policing, abolish the police, and these folks live behind gates with gated communities with security guards and they have private security. Boy, make that make sense. It doesn't. It helps you know that they're using their mouthpieces for social unrest, not because they believe what they're saying. Just like the same people that are saying, oh, we have to look up for the rising tides of the oceans because climate change, and they're buying beachfront property. Make that make sense. I'll tell you how it makes sense. Because they don't believe what they're saying. They're using their rhetoric for, just like, again, Antonio Gramscian methodologies, they're using their, their rhetoric for social and political outcomes, not because they believe it. But now, here is some of the negative fallout. And how many places do you hear people talking about this? Cities, large and small, are suffering a severe reduction in law enforcement. Let, let, me, let me get into what I'm talking about. So many in law enforcement say departments are suffering from flagging morale thanks to the wave of anti-police sentiment that has peaked in recent years. Resignations among police officers have increased 47%. This is nationwide, guys. 47%. Resignations have increased 47% since 2019. And retirements are up 19%. Now put that together. Retirements are up 19% and resignations up 47%. And this is according to the Police Executive Research Forum. All right. While large cities are forced to plot along with smaller departments, some small towns have their agencies closing completely. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Goodhue, Minnesota. It's a town of about 1,300 people. The police chief, Josh Smith, warned the city council that unless... Pay increased and benefits improved, he would not be able to find new officers. A couple months later, when his prediction proved right over this past summer, the police chief quit, and a small police department that had one full-time officer and five part-time employees, all of them resigned at the same time. This is just last month in August, at the same time. Leaving the police work to be done for the sheriff for the entire county. Now, a lot of you are familiar. You have local police department, like in, like in Houston, Texas. You have the Houston Police Department. You have the Harris County Sheriff's Office. The Houston Police Department's jurisdiction is just municipal Houston. The Harris County Sheriff's Office, its, its jurisdiction is the entire county. But you have differences often in expertise and in patrol areas. So when you have the city whose department shuts down, that puts more work on the county officers. And then the good you. Minnesota County Sheriff is himself trying to fill four vacancies of his own. He's only had 10 applicants for all four of the jobs, whereas just the previous year, there were 35 applicants, not the previous year, I'm sorry, in 2019, there were 35 applicants for the jobs in his sheriff's department. 
I'll go even further. The U.S. has seen many smaller towns and cities disband their local police departments over the course of this last decade. Over 500 towns and cities with populations ranging from 1,000 people to 200,000 citizens closed their police departments. This is according to a report by Rice University. 500. And then over the last two years, an additional, well, not additional, but at least 12 small towns have closed their departments completely. I'm going to finish this before, the, before this segment ends. Morris, Minnesota, and it's not just Minnesota, but these are two I'm starting with. Morris, Minnesota, a town that has 5,100 residents, 5,100 residents, had only two police officers left when it closed its doors last year. Only had two police officers left for 5,100 people. All the police officers resigned and moved out of town. Two towns in Maine also recently closed their police department departments. Limestone, Maine closed its police department in March. Van Buren, Maine closed its police department two years ago. In Illinois, the town of Washburn, Illinois, with, with 1,100 residents, closed its police departments completely in 2021. Is anybody talking about this? Completely. In 2021, in Texas, the town of Lot, Texas, which has only 700 residents, closed its police department that only had two police officers. That police department closed last year. Now, those are some of the smaller towns. Let's talk about big cities. New York City, unsurprisingly. New York City has suffered a wave of officers resigning in droves. In January and February, two, January and February, just two months, 239 officers resigned, which was the largest exodus that the city of New York had in its police department since 2007. This is according to the NYPD's own data. Also, this year, in 2023, the NYPD lowered its fitness standards in order to recruit additional Police officers. Many have recognized it as an effort to recruit more women to the police force in New York City. Now, do you think that makes New York City's police officers, not because they're women on the force, but you're talking about changing the, the fitness standards for people who are tasked with enforcing the law? Do you think that's going to make the citizens of New York safer or less safe? Police, Bene police Benevolent Association President Patrick Lynch said... Quote, the New, the New York Police Department staffing emergency is approaching a point of no return. In Los Angeles, LAPD is more than three, 300 officers short and down to fewer than 9,000 officers total for the entirety of Los Angeles. This is the lowest numbers of officers that they've had since the 1990s. Since the 1990s. You may recall... The city of Los Angeles slashed its police budget. And you see this is happening. Austin, Texas. <laughs> it's suffering massive police shortages. Over 500 officers short from the population that they serve. Guys, this is not a coincidence and not enough people are talking about it. Thank you. 
the Hamilton Quarter podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at AFR.net. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner. Abraham Hamilton III here. We will open the phone lines if you'd like to join the program. Anything we've discussed this week is on the table for conversation. The number to call is 888-589-8840. That number again is 888-589-8840. Now, before we went to the break, I was just going through a list of cities that are suffering police officer shortages uh, and I, the last one I mentioned was Austin, Texas. Uh, that is more than 500 officers short, uh, which results in citizens who have calls for service, who call 911, they've been put on hold. <laughs> Imagine having an emergency and hearing, hold please. You know, the city of Austin has, has had more than 800 officers leave the force. In the last six years. Another example, and, and there's, there, there's more, but for the sake of time, I'll just leave it here. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee. The Nashville Police Department is 170 officers short, which left the city's elementary schools short 70 school resource officers. And so the police chief there is, is faced with a decision. If I take 70 patrolmen off the street, guess what's made more vulnerable? The citizens in the street. But if I don't put 70 resource officers in the school, (laughs) these are the things that are happening. And in addition to the public persona concerning or the public perception of police officers, you have to understand one of the things that grates on morality is when you have these police officers who are working feverishly to arrest criminals, they're conducting investigations, but they happen to be in, I don't know, a jurisdiction like Manhattan where Alvin Bragg has said, by the way, we're not putting anybody else in jail. You arrest them and we'll let them out the same day. We're not pursuing carceral sentences for the majority of these crimes. What do you think that does to the police officers? There, 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 there are several different factors that are making many of America's cities, not all, but many of America's cities less and less safe. Something else I I thought you needed to be aware of. And again, not many people are talking about this. A lot of people are caught up and I I, I will definitely not try to wade into anybody's province and tell you what to do with your your money in terms of investment. Uh, We have a great resource here with MoneyWise with, with, I'm sorry, Faith and Finance with Rob West that comes on in the mornings. Uh, But a lot of people talk are talking about cryptocurrency. All right. Do your homework, but I want you to be aware of something. Did you realize North Korea has a dedicated slate of hackers that do nothing but steal cryptocurrency and they're using their theft to bolster their nuclear ambitions? Listen to this clip. It's clip number two. Go. As North Korea's nuclear and missile programs race ahead, their hackers have been busy on a newer front. CNN has exclusively learned about a counterpunch against North Korea's aggressive efforts to steal cryptocurrency by the hundreds of millions to fund Kim Jong-un's military programs. Right now, with North Korea trying to figure out ways to open up border trade again, 
the only sustainable uh, recurring source of revenue in any meaningful way is the crypto theft angle. Last year, according to the crypto firm Chainalysis, North Korea stole an estimated $1.7 billion, nearly half of the $3.8 billion in crypto stolen in 22 globally. It's the kind of return on investment that North Korea can only dream about. Other things they can do, like mining, selling coal, iron ore, uh, involve tens of thousands of laborers, slave laborers. Uh, but this, they can do it with a handful of people and make enormous sums of money. To cut off this revenue stream, the U.S. and South Korea are stepping up efforts with increasingly sophisticated tactics. Now, this report comes via TRM Labs, which is a blockchain intelligence firm that deals with a cryptocurrency. In 2023, North Korean hackers have stolen at least, at least $200 million worth of cryptocurrency. At least $200 million in cryptocurrency. From January to August 18th, North Korea-affiliated hackers accounted for more than 20% of all stolen cryptocurrency in, in, in the year. Since 2018, North Korea and North Korean-related hackers have stolen upwards of $2 billion in cryptocurrency. Now, a lot of the sanctions... Well, not uh, the sanctions that have been imposed on North Korea have been imposed in order to deter their nuclear ambitions. And so they're just figuring another way. They, they want to sidestep the uh, sanctions that are being imposed upon them. Uh, who is talking about this? <laughs> and all of the conversations about cryptocurrency, blockchain, you know, the U.S. is... The, the Federal Reserve is implementing its Fed Now program. Are we going to tell the American people about this? <laughs> Two billion dollars since 2018 in stolen cryptocurrency funds. I have so much more I want to get to, but I promise I get to the phone lines again. If you want to join the program, you're welcome to do so. The number to call is 888. 888- 589-8840. The number again to call is 888-589-8840. We will go first to Kansas, where Eric is on the line. Eric, thank you for calling the Hamilton Corner. Welcome to the program. Good Eric. afternoon, Abe. Hey, I appreciate everything that you do. Thank you. Uh, I just want to want to make a couple of comments, and you might call me a conspiracy theorist, but... Some of these same people sitting in Washington, D.C., who are promoting the defund the police narrative are the same ones that voted to add an additional 87,000 IRS agents mm -hmm. and potentially weaponize them. I, I feel like my conspiracy is that we're, this is all being pushed on us because eventually we want to federalize law enforcement, mm -hmm. which then can be politicized, just like we're seeing with the FBI and Department of Justice. But that's just my conspiracy. I'll, I'll, I'll hang up and let you comment. Yeah, Eric. I, I, what, what, what's the saying going now? Yesterday's conspiracy is, is, is tomorrow's headline. You know, I, I don't think that's conspiratorial at, at all. And I'll tell you why. Marxism is, is rinse and repeat. You know, I explained before that the three word mantra that the pagan lesbians articulated with the Black Lives Matter corrupt, wicked organization 
is no different than three-word mantras that have been articulated all over the world. Same thing in, in communist Cuba, same thing in Nicaragua, all over the world. Same thing in the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Three-word mantras seemingly, you know, and I'm trying to remember specifically in, 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 in the Bolshevik Revolution, it was something like bread, air, and water or something like that, you know. Um, but what has happened in all of those nations is exactly what you're describing, the, the evisceration of anything that could be a local police force, the federalization of it. I mean, in Mexico, they're even called federales, <laughs> you know, which makes it far easier to manipulate and control from a central location. We have li we're literally living through the era where the entire nation is being confronted with utter corruption th through and through at the upper echelons of the three-letter alphabet agencies in Washington, D.C., there's no, what was, I forgot my man's name, the former chief of staff from Barack Hussein Obama, you know, who likes to write love letters to his girlfriend about he fantasizes about being with men. <laughs> uh, what was this dude's name? He became the mayor of Chicago. Rahm Emanuel, remember? Never let a good crisis go to waste. Where does that terminology come from? Solominsky's Rules for Radicals. What's the purpose of the crises? Because people in times of crises will cede their authority Whereas in times of peace, they would not be willing to do so. The purpose for this pursuit of ceded authority is so that you can overthrow the established governmental apparatus and assert, ultimately, the Marxist revolution. This is what has happened all over the world. So to say this is conspiratorial, I don't think it's conspiratorial at all. These are the same people who, understanding what the U.S. Constitution says about the administration of federal, federal elections being controlled at the local level, they, they want to make elections controlled in D.C., it's kind of like the climate change argument. Whatever the question is, the answer is climate change. Whatever the issue is, the answer is centralized power in D.C. So I don't think that's conspiratorial at all. And again, we're witnessing some of these things play out right before our very eyes. Back to the phone lines we go. We'll go next to West Virginia, where Mike is on the line. Mike, thank you for calling the Hamilton Corner. Welcome to the program. Thank you for taking my call, Abe. Um... All these uh, towns where um, the local politicians have cut the uh, police, why don't the people in those towns vote those local politicians out of office? That's a good question, Mike. Some of them they, they, they may have, but in some places, the citizens, let, let, let me say it this way, how many American citizens voted for democratic socialism? <laughs> and in some of these places, for example, Los Angeles. <laughs> Do you think the citizens of Los Angeles are going to vote out their mayor and city council members who cut funding? You have other places where there, were, there was a reversal, of course, where London Breed voted to cut the, fund, the, the money for the local police department in San Francisco. And then the citizens cried out and she reversed that really quickly. You know, so you had that happening in some places. But I'm sharing this information with you so that you can be an informed citizen because I know we have people who listen to this program who live in many of those areas or nearby them. So you can be aware of what is actually going on. Having a constitutional republic with democratic features only works. John Adams said it best. It only works for the governance of a holy moral and religious people. The reality, and he's referring to a holy moral and religious people, he's referring to the Christian faith, no doubt about it. The Christian faith is an, is an intelligent faith. One of the commands and instructions we have from Scripture is to add to our faith knowledge. 
You know, but but there has been a combined effort to dumb down our society, you know, water water down the cogency and the cognizance of the American populace, feed the frenzy with bread and circus, you know, don't pay attention to cogent things that's going on. There's more TikTok reels. You know, more of that. More desperate housewives. Let's watch The Bachelor, episode 10,766. You know? And pump, force feed that. You know, sports, sports all day, all day, all day, all day, all day, all day, all day. You have people putting Ukrainian flags in their bios, don't even know where Ukraine is on the map. And again, I'm certainly not in favor of the Russian thug Vladimir Putin. But do we even really know what's going on in Ukraine, like for real, though, to be pouring in billions of dollars? And it's, it's remarkable to me how, how, how incurious people are when you literally had a full-on impeachment effort of former President Donald Trump because of a phone call to Zelensky, when you got Joseph Robinette Biden on video saying, hey, he wanted the billion. I told him he wasn't getting the billion until he fired that prosecutor. And then we learned that the prosecutor was investigating this, the company where his son and his homeboy, Devin Archer, are on the board making thousands, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And nobody's interested at all. In fact, they go further and say, oh, this looks like this is nothing more than Russian propaganda. And, and, and evidence of the, of the balkanization of our society. Some of you have even experienced this. You have family dinners. You have holidays where you have relatives that come over and things of that nature. You start sharing with your relatives things that you've heard on this program. And they look at you like, what? Where did you learn that? You're like, man, I was in the on, on Hamilton Corner. They're like, Hamilton Corner? I haven't heard that's from the talking snake media. It, must, it sounds like propaganda, too. That's where we are. I have a story. I didn't get to it yet. But do you realize the U.S. debt has just eclipsed $31.38 trillion? To where the interest, the interest on our debt is approaching totals that are higher than the combination of entitlement programs and defense spending. What? Are you, what is going, there is no way, this is unsustainable. But we have a populace that is so addicted to that narcotic, that's what LGBJ called it, the narcotic of government assistance. So addicted to the narcotic. To where we can't imagine, hey, we really got to cut some of these programs. And then on the other side, defense spending. So we're talking about $2 trillion annually? For the, we can't cut anywhere? I'm sure there's no waste, fraud, and abuse in government spending on defense, is there? <laughs> Everything that is represented as being defense spending is not necessarily going to make our country stronger. If, if we want to have an America going forward, one of the most important things we need to do is get our arms around spending. But you know why politicians won't do it? Because their number one agenda is re-election. And they don't want to have to deal with the fallout of giving a strong medicine to the American people to say, hey, you do realize we're spending ourselves into oblivion. And so let the people eat cake. Give me my benefits. Let me get my snap on. And don't tell me nothing about what I'm getting from the government. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.